Well, I appreciate you coming back. We, I felt we had a good time this morning. Uh, great meal. If you didn't get it, I'm sorry you missed it. This church has some good cooks, all right? Has some real good eaters. I could see that too. But anyway, we are going to try tonight to talk about the signs of his coming. And then I told you the next three nights, we'll try to cover the sequence of his coming. And I want to say, uh, repeat what I said this morning. One of the things about prophecy, prophecy is given to us that we can verify the word of God. But that's after it's fulfilled. You know, if Jesus had just kind of floated down from heaven on a cloud the first time and stepped off it, he wouldn't have been human. He couldn't have gone and died in your place. He had to enter this universe through the portal of the virgin's womb and arrive as a human being, clothed in flesh and blood and DNA. He had to experience what we experience, live as we live, suffer as we suffer, so that he could go and give his life in our place. The single most important thing in all the Bible is that Jesus came and died for you. Amen? And rose again. And that is so vital that we want to never lose sight of that. He's coming again, but what he did the first time is akin to those of you that remember World War II, or at least have learned about it. We have every June a remembrance of Normandy Beach, where the Allied forces invaded and stormed the coast of France to push back and repel the Germans that were about to take all of the continent of Europe. And Churchill stood up and rallied the British and got finally the U.S. involved, and we sent men we thought to their death. Now, this is a little old history for you. Some of you are still uh, old enough or young enough. Maybe you saw Private Ryan, saving Private Ryan. They're on the beaches. What a bloody battle as men marched to their death, but we won, and we Turn back the Germans with just good old blessing of God and fortitude. Our president at the time called this nation to prayer. There was reliance on God. There was fear of God. There was, we've got to have you or we're sunk, and they knew it. We need more of that today, amen? amen. And so what happened was they won the battle. Did they win the war? Not exactly, but you could say, and historians of military history say, that's when the war was really won. But it wasn't yet enforced. They won on D-Day, but it's not until later in 1945 when they march into Berlin and, and Hitler is surrounded and takes his own life, you know, down in a basement. The war is officially over, and then later they sign uh, the, the, the treaties in France, in Paris. So all that happens, it was actually won, though, in in June before it ended the next year. And that's kind of like the, the coming of Christ, the first and second. He won the battle at Calvary. He defeated the devil. And if you're a believer, the devil is a defeated foe tonight. You don't have to live under his lies. You don't have to live under his temptations. You don't have to take it. You can stand up and tell him to go where he belongs. Amen? And that's the truth, because you have authority over Satan. Jesus won it for you, and you and I simply enforce it, not only in our personal lives, but really as we hopefully are praying for the lost and praying for a world that needs the gospel. But here's what I'm saying. Even as the battle was won way back on Calvary in the year 33 or 37, or I mean 27 AD, somewhere in between there, even as the war was won, Jesus has waited all of this time to come and enforce it. But when he shows up the next time, he's not going to be a suffering servant. 
He's not going to be beaten and scarred and talking about uh, all of the horrible things that await. He's going to come as a victor, as a king. He's going to crush his enemies like that. And we've given this great big build up to the Battle of Armageddon. There's going to be a lot of bloodshed. But I tell you, when he splits the sky, the Bible says he will destroy his enemies with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. The same Jesus that we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration this morning, that's face shone brighter than the sun, the one whose face glimpsed by Paul blinded him for three days, the one whom John saw in Revelation 1 in his glory fell at his feet as though he were dead, that Jesus is coming back to take what is rightfully his, one on Calvary. So let's just remember that. And so if you're a believer, there's an interesting verse near the end of Revelation. It says, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, prophecy is not to terrify, it's to testify. You know, a lot of people get all worked up and scared. I mentioned this morning back in 1988 when I pastored in Muskogee, that little book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. And not only did I have a lot of my, you know, church members coming all worried because they were not living quite right and they were trying to get cleaned up, but I had some lost people come to Christ, not because I was preaching that, but because they got wind of it and we were preaching the gospel and they responded and gave their life to Christ. And the most important thing we do is to testify to the gospel. See, if you're a believer, the only authority Satan has over your life is a lie that you choose to believe. And do not kid yourself, we choose what we believe. You choose to believe the gospel. But you do it with credible reasons because there's good evidence. The tomb is empty. Jesus wasn't some mythical character. He was a historical figure, and nobody could find his body, and he started a movement that changed the world and has been changing lives by the billions and he's going to come and wrap history up. But if you listen to the devil, see, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that one of the things Jesus did was destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, because man, until Jesus did that, was always under bondage of the fear of death. And I told you, um, alluded to it this morning, I didn't go into it very much, but we've lived through that. You've seen it on the faces of your friends and family. People are literally terrified literally terrified. And, and, you know, I've got this stance that I've taken. I think taking vaccines is your decision. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I think it's absolutely wrong, and it's against international law and against our Constitution to force mandates for vaccines. That's got to be an individual personal decision. So let me just say this. We're looking at a virus that, as far as we know, has a uh, 99.4% survival rate. And I'm being conservative. It's actually like 99.78 something. So there's better chance of getting struck by lightning walking outside almost. I'm not kidding or exaggerating. But we shut down our economy globally, not just in the U.S. We shut down schools. We shut down lives. We didn't know at the time, and that wasn't a bad decision. I'm not saying that all of our leaders were misleading us because they were doing the best they could with the information they had. But we've since learned the survival rate is absolutely incredible, and the very avenues of therapy that were really kind of pushed down from the top were the very things that hurt people, like ventilators in most cases. I had talked to one doctor. He said 99% of the people he saw on a ventilator died, and it exacerbated their condition and accelerated their death, he felt. 
So I'm not speaking against the wisdom, and I'm not a medical expert, so you know, don't quote me you know, as if I'm some expert because I'm not. But my bigger point is something that there's a greater survival rate. I mean, it's comparable to the flu every year in some ways if you count the number of actual deaths that are truly caused not with COVID but by COVID. It's comparable to the flu. Most people had a comorbidity already that kind of sent them along. But we let this hype, we let all this talk, we let all this fill us with fear and fret. And and I knew people that just literally locked down and and almost paralyzed psychologically because they were terrified. And I've seen people respond that way sometimes to prophecy. When they think about the return of the Lord, they just get scared stiff. Let me give you the watchword for prophecy because it's in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, where Paul says, My brethren, now concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him, that's gathering up in the sky with him, don't be, what did Jesus say the night before he went to the cross? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, he said. And then he says, in the world you'll have tribulation, little t, not the big t, but it's coming. But he says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but don't be afraid, for I have overcome the world. Gang, the the great message of Revelation is if we're on the right side, we're victors. We win. We overcome. We're going to be standing at the end like somebody that's won the galactic trophy. I mean, we are the winners because he is the ultimate winner, the ultimate warrior, not on some WWE matchup, but Jesus who kicked the teeth out of the devil, amen? And the devil may be a roaring lion, but all he can do is gum you to death if you're a believer. So don't give him any more credit than he's due. So I just want to say that up front. I also want to remind you, uh, a prophecy as it's been fulfilled, like Jesus' first coming and other things that we can, we're going to talk about tonight, that is to increase your faith. He said, I tell you this before it happens so that when it happens, you'll know and you'll believe, And that's why God does that. And I says in Isaiah 45, I'm the Lord God. There is no other Savior who is a God like me who knows the beginning from the end and declares it before it comes to pass. And God wants you to believe in him. And so he gives you very credible evidence. And what we're going to look at tonight, and we can kind of be getting there, is Matthew chapter 24. Just a bedrock statement from Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. In fact, he's going to go to the cross in, some people say, two days. Some people say three days. But he's just within hours of giving his life as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so there he is. And for the very last time on his earthly life, the very last time he's been in that Jewish temple that was the center of Judaism and our faith, the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus turns and wheels out of the temple. He has scalded the Pharisees, and they've run like a scalded dog in chapter 23 with eight woes upon them. And he turns his heel and walks out of the temple. And the disciples decide to have a building campaign. <laughs> They had seen him watching people give their offering, and it's true, the little widow would come by and put in her two mites. I'm looking for my verses. They're back here. Can they see these? You guys can't read the verses up here, can you? Whatever. I can see them. You can turn around, or you can just find it in your Bible. He's in Matthew 17, and I'm in Matthew 24. No, Matthew 24. That's all right. I've got a hard copy. I always take a hard copy. Amen. Somebody said, get your copy of the Word. It's either in your lap or on your app. So turn in your lap or your app to Matthew 24. 
And you know, when they started having the phone explosion, I mean, with the digital revolution that we've experienced in our lifetime, I mean, my kids were teenagers, and, and, and I was pastoring, and we started a second service, and it was really trying to target young adults and young people, and, you know, we had the usual little warnings about phones, but I got to one Sunday, and I told people, you know, let's just, let's just, because you can't tell, are they really looking at a Bible app, or are they, you know, checking something else out, sports scores, or you don't know, but I said, this is the text, this is the text message that we've received It was transmitted from another world, and this is the one we need to hear right now. Amen? So there's where we're going to go, Matthew 24. So Jesus turns, and he's walking out of the temple, and the disciples suddenly stop and go, look at these, it's this incredible, wonderful building. And it was, Herod's temple. He had taken a little thing, and really, Herod was this massive builder, architect, and he was a grand delusions almost about himself. He built this massive uh, building that was about 14 stories high, overlaid it with gold. When the sun rose in the morning or set in the evening, the, the rays hit that gold, and you could see it all over Jerusalem because it was up on a high hill, and it was, a, it was an incredible sight. And so the disciples are walking out, and yeah, it's kind of a wow factor. And they said to Jesus, look at these temples and these massive stones. And Jesus said, because they just rejected him a few days earlier when he rode in on the donkey and they refused him mostly, except for a few of his followers. He says, you see all these stones? You see all this? You're so impressed with this? It's going to be gone. It's going to disappear. And they said, well, Lord, and they had a three-pronged question. When will that happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They asked three questions, really. It's in Matthew 24. And so we have it up here now, and they said that. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, well, let's read. I'm sorry, he's right there with me. Let's read the first. He sat on the Mount of Olives. They came to him privately. Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Just a little asterisk caveat for us. Uh, The King James and some other translations translated that, I think, unfortunately, the end of the world. And that phrase is carried over into our popular language. Uh, we're, we're not going to confuse you this week. That's not my desire. But we have a lot of pop theology or folk theology that's developed over the years just because of the way we talk about things. For instance, when you die, the minute you die, you don't go to heaven. I didn't say you wouldn't end up there, but you don't go to heaven. You go to be with the Lord in His presence, and it's called paradise at this time. If you don't know the Lord, you don't go to the lake of fire and hell. You go to a place in torments, which is one side of Hades. So we could get real technical, but if we do that, we'll confuse the water because people talk about heaven and hell all the time. So I'm not trying to do that. But I see people, you know, with a sign, the end of the world is coming. And when we talk about really the the ultimate new heaven and new earth, it says that God's going to let the elements dissolve with the great heat and everything is going to burn up and then he'll usher in a new uh, heaven and earth wherein dwells righteousness. This old planet is not going to be destroyed even by God because Psalms 94 and other places say that the foundations of this world are everlasting. God made them to last forever. It's kind of like built to last. He's going to cleanse and purify the globe with a great fire and perhaps, who knows, just a disintegration of all the elements. And then he's going to kind of refurbish it again and renovate it and make it brand new. So it's not that the, quote, world is going to end, it's that this age, that's the Greek word there, is going to end. This age of man, this age that we live in now, this age where we are trying to fight the cosmic battle and Satan is still given a leash to run around on and destroy lives. This age is going to end, thank God. Amen? 
And I'll get to it in a moment probably, but let's talk about global warming. It's not global warming, it's a global warning. It's a global warning. And man cannot destroy this planet. And God himself is choosing not to even destroy it. He's going to refurbish it. So let's just remember that before we panic and get all crazy loony. Amen? Y'all don't sound convinced to me. Amen? No, thank you. All right, let's read with the Scripture. Now, what we're going to do, and, and bless your hearts, I'm glad you're here, and I'm not going to try to abuse our time at all, but I don't see a clock. Yeah, there's a clock. Pastor hit it so nobody can see it but him. Good idea, brother. I had a little digital one right under the front row nobody knew about. Anyway, um, let's, let's go. we're going to kind of try to skate through Matthew 24, and we're going to have to do a flyover. We're not going to be able to scuba dive and go down under the water and go very deep, but we're going to have to kind of skim across it like on a speedboat. But this is Jesus' answer to these questions. When, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Uh, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When is all that? And so Jesus gives him a very full answer, and it's just like our Lord to do that. So we're going to talk about how he first answered it, about the growing signs. And the signs have been growing and growing through the ages. So if we can, uh, we'll begin here with the next verse. Take heed that no one deceives you. I'm sorry, I didn't finish. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So the first one in verses 4 and 5 is that there are going to be false Christs, false prophets, false teachers. And when I say these signs are growing, let me give the metaphor Jesus did. He compared this time to birth pangs. Now, I experienced that as a husband. I didn't experience it like my wife did, believe me. But I was there by her, and I saw her go through what was uh, very nicely euphemistically called the transition you did this, I'll kill you. No. <laughs> anyway, she, she wouldn't run that way. But I mean, she, she really, she, she, she chose to not take uh, meds when she didn't, unless she just absolutely had to, I think, one time. But she tried to bring them. We're in a hospital, but she tried to bring them naturally. And I mean, it, 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 it's quite a sight. And any man that sees how a child comes in the world has a whole new appreciation. I mean, she's at the doorway of death and life emerges. Any woman that's brought a child in the world, she's literally almost brought to the valley of death to bring a life. And that was Jesus' first coming. He went to the cross and died. John 16, he said, it's like when a woman brings a man into the world, there's great angst and pain, and then it's immediately forgotten for joy that a man child is born into the world. And that was his death on the cross. He went into the valley of death and came out alive. But his second coming is going to be much the same in that the world this time is going to be on the convulsion of a whole new age being born, and the earth is going to get worse than it's ever been. And the, Jesus says in this chapter, unless God had shortened the time, no one would have survived. It'll be that bad. And then a new age is born. Well, here's the thing about birth pangs, because we just had a grandchild born, I told you. And his name is Landon, and I have a picture if you want to humor me afterwards. I've got several pictures. But he's obviously the most beautiful um, of nine grandchildren in the world. And so let me just say, uh, his mother, my daughter, she went through uh, about three weeks of really thinking it was the day. I'm not exaggerating. And she didn't get tricked. It's not her first child. She knew what real labor was, went through it. But these incredible uh, pangs and these but here's what happens with the birth pangs. When the hour really comes and the child is working through the birth canal to arrive, here's what's going on. They, they increase in frequency. They get closer and closer and closer and closer together, and they increase in intensity. 
or ferocity. And that's how what we're going to look at in this little list of growing signs is going to be. Through the ages, there have always been, since Jesus uttered these words, we'll see, there have always been false teachers. There have always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. There have always been uh, earthquakes. There have always been, all of these things have been here. It's not like, duh. And, and why would he say that? Because every generation has to be ready. The wrap-up in this chapter is where he says in verse 36, no man knows the day or the hour. The Father in heaven knows, not even the angels know. No man knows. And so every, even the devil has to have a game plan to be ready every generation. And that's why we mentioned this morning there's always been a candidate who's the Antichrist. Because it could have been at any time, but it hadn't been yet. There were earthquakes, but not like there are now. We're having megaquakes. There were weather patterns, but not like there are now. There were wars, but not like we fought last century and like World War III is going to be. I mean, stuff is at a frequency and an intensity the world has never seen. These are the birth pains of a new coming righteous age. So he says, false teachers and false prophets. Now, guys, bear with me. I told you, you're getting three lessons tonight in one session time. Okay, so I can't delve deep as I'd like to. I could tell you about some of the false. Anytime, you could probably go in the local insane asylum and find somebody that's claiming to be Jesus Christ. But there have been some prominent people in history that are doing it. And I just pulled out a little quick list. I won't, I won't, I won't dwell on these very long, but we remember Jim Jones. They talk about today, everybody, your followers are drinking the Kool-Aid. That started with Jim Jones. And he had followers. He had been a Christian, quote, minister, and led people down to Guyana, and, and this whole group of about seven or 800 people followed him, and he laced the Kool-Aid with cyanide and got them to drink it. And they believed, some of his own followers believed he was a Messiah, that he was literally the Christ, and they followed him literally to their death. Well, he wasn't the Christ, obviously. Uh, he laced it with strychnine. Reverend Sun Young Moon, who came out of Korea, he claimed to be the second coming of Christ, and many people believe that. There was a man in, in uh, Siberia named Torop who had 4,000 members who followed him into a utopia. I've never visited Siberia. I don't want to visit Siberia, thank you. And I wouldn't consider it a utopia up there because it's a lot of coal mines and slave labor and freezing temperatures. But he convinced those people. Jose Miranda from Miami, Florida, claims to be the Christ and the Antichrist. Christ in one and took the moniker 666. That was really original, Jose. Anyway, there's a guy named Apollo Quiboli from the Philippines. Get this. This guy, I think, may be dead today, but he was alive not that long ago. Six million followers for a guy named Apollo. Henry Cristo from Brazil, within the last few decades, packed soccer stadiums, and his followers believed he was the second coming of Christ. David Shaler in England developed a following, and many of them said he was Christ, but they were smoking cannabis, and a lot of them were transvestites. So take your pick in more ways than one. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be somebody, but we're seeing more than we've ever seen, more cults, more false religions, more crazy things out there. That's why you need to know the truth. Please, your pastor has tell, told you this, and you have a pastor that preaches the truth to you, and not every church can say that today. Not every Southern Baptist church can say that today. Thank God for your pastor and his ministry. The truth, you'll be set free. The truth will make you free. And if you don't believe the truth, you're in bondage to a lie that can lead you all the way to hell if you're not careful. So, boy, these false teachers, we've seen more than ever. Then the idea of wars and rumors of wars. If we go back one to verse 6, 7, and 8, 
I just want to, in passing, say, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then this is a Hebrew idiom. What it is is an expression in the language. Now, this is obviously in the Greek that Matthew's writing, but Jesus spoke Aramaic, and there is an Aramaic translation of Matthew's gospel. There is an Aramaic copy. And it's an expression that the Hebrews would use, uh, saying nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And it implied the idea of not just this guy squaring off against this guy, but all of them forming coalitions and going at it. Okay, that had never happened in the history of humanity until 1917 with World War I, and again in 1940s with World War II. But it did. And I told you this morning with a tease that out of all of that when the dust settled, there was really only one geopolitical change, and we'll get to that in a minute. But there have always been wars, but wars are increasing. Wars are going on all over, and now there's different kinds of war. We're in a new warfare age. There's space warfare. I think our last President Trump was very wise to create a space force. China has declared their goal is to have world dominion by, 1940, by 2045. Excuse me, that's 100 years behind. That's World War II. They're claiming that they're going to rule the planet by 2045. I think Jesus may have other plans. But uh, that's what they're saying. And they want to be first in, in space, not first literally there because we went there to the moon and the Russians. But they mean they want to be first place in space. There's, there's going to be a, a warfare from, from space. There's going to be a warfare that's already going on. Cyber warfare is happening. Power grids are being hacked. Uh, companies are being hacked. Uh, economic systems are being hacked. All of this is going on. There's today an economic warfare besides hacking where you literally leverage the pressure and the power of sanctions and sales and trade. And that's a whole new realm of warfare in the last several years. Uh, there's going to be uh, literally uh, technological warfare, the likes of which we have never seen. We don't know DARPA. That's the Defense uh, Allocated Research Project money that's done research and developed things. But we're supposed to have weapons that are just off the charts that nobody knows about, some people know but won't talk about, but we, we'll have nanotechnology where there'll be little in, infinitesimally small things that are able to, to go and, and, and go into buildings and perhaps even uh, infiltrate your dwelling place and go, go assassinate somebody. There'll be uh, robots, there's going to be, you know, there's already drones and drone warfare. Robots last week rolled out this dog robot called, uh, I forget that what they named it, but it's a dog robot, and it looks kind of clunky, but it runs very fast, and it's got a sniper's gun on it. You'd take a whole new tack if that dog came up to you and raised his leg. You, 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 you wouldn't kick him if you're smart. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be crude, I guess I was, but I'm telling you, we're seeing things we've never seen, the technology. And so wars, yes, but there are more than ever today. The next part, groups three or four, so let's just read verse eight. Y'all are listening well. Thank you so much. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And then I want to read verse eight. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows there in, in Greek is the word birth pangs. That's what I mean about the frequency and the intensity increasing through the ages. And you reach a point of velocity where there's no more room to increase. You're kind of you're kind of at the threshold, and that's where we seem to be marching with so many things. Famines, yeah, I mean, we're trying to feed the world, but according to their own statistics, uh, World Health Organization, who, they tell us that um, right now a third of uh, 14 million a year are dying of starvation. 
A third of the population globally is very poorly malnourished. Pestilences, that's diseases. And now we have, again, another threat. Was it a cyber attack? Was, I'm not cyber. Was it a bioterror attack? Was COVID developed humanly? I remember being on the edge of some information as it came out, and we believe in our household, my wife had it in December 2019 when we'd never so much as heard of COVID. We'd heard of SARS, but uh, she had a really bad virus and three trips to the doctor in three weeks, three rounds of medications. Nothing could make it better, and she since had some of the symptoms that are kind of the lingering after effects, and we're, they didn't have tests, but we're pretty sure she had COVID. So, so there it was, and, 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 and we got some of the early research on that in February of 2020, and it really came out from people that had real connections to the Chinese Communist Party that, yeah, this probably did come out of the lab in Wuhan, and it actually looked like it had been tinkered with because in Japan, excuse me, in China, it was killing men who were smokers more than any other group almost outrageously more than any other group. And it was aimed at the lungs. And they said as they began to, to check into the virus that it had an extra receptor that allowed the virus to attach and move toward the lungs. And this we knew in February 2020, or those that wanted to know could find it. We're going to see more and more of that. China right now, and by the way, all the COVID tests that we take, you are submitting your DNA to China. And they are grouping it. And I'm not trying to make them the enemy tonight. Don't understand that. I'll probably do that Tuesday night. No, I'm just kidding. One of the things I always say, whether I preach about LGBTQ or Islam or communists or anybody, it's not the followers that are our enemy. They're just people trying to survive and maybe misled. It's the leaders that know what they're doing. That's who's bad. So anyway, the Chinese want world dominance, and what they're doing is they are actually in these labs. They are uh, categorizing DNA specimens by certain nationality ethnic groups. They hate the Japanese, so do the Koreans, and they're supposedly designer virusing bioterror, and, and it would make sense in the day in which we're living. Now, if you have a little nano-sized mosquito machine that can come and inject you, you'd never even know it except, hmm, I didn't see that one. And I'm not trying to terrify you, but this stuff is literally in white papers by scientists and military engineers about our future. And that's why I say we're at a threshold. I just don't see. I really do believe we're in the last generation. I'm going to talk, if the Lord allows tonight, and get there. I'm going to talk about AI for a minute and artificial intelligence. That ought to scare us, if anything would scare us. But we have Jesus, so we're not going to be scared. Amen? But artificial intelligence, it's off the charts. Okay. Famines, diseases, earthquakes, I don't need to go into that. We have more of them than ever. They are more intense. They're growing more frequent. I mean, all of the evidence is there of birth pangs of the earth itself, the planet. And Yellowstone has a super volcano beneath it up there in Wyoming that they said if it's the big one ever blows, it could blow up a third of our continent. And the pressure is there underneath. So on and on, Old Faithful's going to prove he really was. Anyway, the fourth sign that's growing through the ages... Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation, that's with a little t, persecution, and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another because of me. Let's just stop a moment. Persecution. It was in the early church. It's been through the ages. There were more martyrs in the last decade of the 20th century 
There were more martyrs glo globally in the last day. More martyrs in the 20th century than all the other 19 combined, and more in the last decade of the 20th century than all the other decades. And now we've rolled into a new day. Most of the killers of Christians happen to be communist countries, North Korea, China, Islamic countries, which is the whole Middle East window. That's where most of it's coming from, but it is there. Your church has a prayer guide. I picked one up back there by Voice of the Martyrs. You ought to pray for the suffering church. I mentioned this morning, I do not want to stand by the guy that gives his life and his family for Christ at the judgment seat. I don't want to stand near that guy because I look pretty shabby to what I've suffered. But folks, this is going on, and I believe it's coming to our nation in ways we haven't seen. We had the privilege of in Oklahoma City having this Canadian pastor uh, this, this uh, recently in the summer, who, Pastor Andrew, who, who came from Poland and has a Polish congregation, and he held church during COVID, and literally, you may have seen the video because it went viral on the internet, but he literally got dragged out in the street out of his church and arrested by the Canadian police for holding an Easter service. This is in Canada. This isn't in Saudi Arabia. This isn't in communist China. This is in Canada. And they let him out on bail, and he's making a tour speaking through the United States at key churches and places to share his story because he said, it's coming to you next. And it really seems to be, we're going to see an increased persecution, and the church will surely uh, be purged in that time. It'll, it'll remove all the wannabes and all the fake hypocrites because those who love Jesus and know Jesus will lay down their life for Jesus. Fifth sign is a, an apostasy. Verse 11 Many false prophets will rise, deceive many. Uh, so there's, there's, we, we could talk in, in Thessalonians about the verse about the great apostasy, but we're seeing this today. Churches have departed from the gospel, and Jesus talks about salt that loses its salt, and he says, what's it good for? It's good for nothing. There are versions of the gospel that are good for nothing because they don't have any repentance and require faith at all. There are versions of Christianity that are good for nothing because they compromise and they don't teach the fear of God. There are churches naming the name of Jesus, but they're good for nothing because they've lost their salt. And there are Christian believers who have lost their salt, and until they get right, they're good for nothing. I would ask you, does hell fear when you get up and start your day in the morning? Are you a threat to hell because of your walk with God? Jesus said, when you stand for me, the world will hate you. You know, here in the West, we used to have... Christianity. It's the foundation of much of our freedoms and liberties in America. We got it from Christianity that came across Europe. But I want to say to you that we are now not just past Christian. Today, we are post-Christian. Many describe our culture. We've moved beyond it. The most popular podcaster, I think, or second most popular podcaster, I listened to a clip from him four or five years ago this week, and he was debunking the whole idea of God. And this guy has millions of young men that listen to him, millions what an influencer he is. But that voice is out there, and the apostasy grows not only outside the church, but inside the church as the Lord is allowing this so that, that only the true, pure followers will be emerging. And every generation has to find this. And I wish I had more time. I'd talk a lot about the ways that we've veered off the gospel, but we're doing a survey. So let's go to the next one, verses 12 and 13. A lawless society. Look at this. Lawlessness will abound. Love of many will grow cold, and he who endures to the end will be saved. Lawlessness will abound. Love will grow cold. Did you ever believe we'd see the day where people in broad daylight and on camera can shoot someone in downtown New York City? 
can walk into a, a Walgreens or a CVS in San Francisco or ride in on a bicycle and pull stuff off the shelves and drive out and nobody will prosecute them. Nobody will try to arrest them. Nothing is done. And we're living more and more in this lawless age because as men reject God, they put self in his place and they want to make their own laws and they, of course, want to make them up as they go so they can do whatever they please. And Jesus said this will be a sign of the end. We are seeing it like we've never seen it, frequency, intensity. Cities burning. I know we've all heard the jokes and the commentary, but literally reporters in front of burning cities saying, well, it's mostly a peaceful riot. Yeah, sure. And all this lawlessness is abounding. And he says the love of many will grow cold, where fathers will shoot their children and their wife and then take their own life, where a mother will kill her children and maybe strangle them. We're seeing things that I, I don't remember. Maybe they happened in out-of-the-way places very rarely, but we're seeing mainstreaming horrible stuff and crime and violence like we've never seen. And the Bible says that love is going to grow cold. And boy, do we need a dose of love. I told you this morning, the verse that helps me the most in these days is hope does not disappoint, and I have hope like a child for Christmas. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. These are some of the growing signs, and as I finish this part, let me just mention there is some good news here. We've had earthquakes, wars, false teachers, all this bad stuff. Verse 14, though, Jesus said, and this will increase till the march of the end. The gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And the gospel is still going forward. Amen. And there's about 2,500 ethnic groups. They're called unreached people groups. And some of the major mission movements in, in modern Christianity got together about 15 years ago and said, guys, if we work together, we can probably do this. And we're trying to take the gospel to the last place, the last civilization, the last island, the last tribe, the last forest. And we're, we're not there yet, but it's a sign that we're getting close to his return and answering his question. Those are the growing signs. Now, let me just describe for a minute and I won't spend as much time, but it's really the most remarkable. Let me describe what I call the grand sign. And if you have this same chapter, drop down, if you will, to verse 32. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. And Jesus is still talking about answering their questions. And he's saying that he's going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, gathering together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn, he says, a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender, putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Well, what is the fig tree? Well, some people believe with some biblical merit um, that the fig tree represents and is a symbol of the nation, Israel. Not the people, but even the nation state. Let me just read to you, if I can, from Hosea 9.10, where the Lord is describing, well, I got the wrong reference, just a minute, and he doesn't need to put that up on the board. I want to be sure I give you the right reference because I think it's so critical that you see where I'm coming from on this. Uh, bear with me just a moment. Hosea, I'm not making this up. Yeah, I said Hosea 9.10. Why am I not seeing it in front of me? Because I was looking at 9.9. <laughs> All right, look here. He's describing the overrun of the nation, the judgment of God. Hosea 9.10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first blossom. 
but they turned to Baal Peor and separated unto shame. And then just a page over, really, in the book of Joel, it's describing the judgment in verse 7, chapter 1. It says, God has laid my vine waste and barked, or that is, cleaned it down to the bare bark, my fig tree. There are two images for Israel. One is the vine, one is the fig tree. And if you really ferret this out and try to look across the scriptures that would speak to it, you'd find that the vine talks about Israel as a spiritual nation. They were given the Torah, the revelation of God, the Old Testament prophecies. They came as the spiritual light to the world to bring the Word of God and the revealer of who the one true God was. And the Messiah came through Israel. So spiritually, that was their heritage. But they also existed as a nation when God brought them in out of Egypt, out of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, and brings them in and gives them the land. And he said the land would be theirs forever. So stay with me for just a couple minutes. I want you to think about something. I have to tell a lot of my friends, Christianity, especially those that are in the Reformed tradition, Christianity did not start in 16th century Europe with guys in black robes and funny hats. That was not the beginning of Christianity. Christianity goes all the way back to the Jew, Judaism, the land of Israel. Our Savior was born to an Israeli woman. Israeli blood coursed through his veins. He was of the chosen people. Now, here's what I want you to think with me about because we have a lot. We've got to question a lot of our own, you know, traditions. Not the Word of God, but our traditions get encrusted on the Word of God, and we kind of have to shake it up once in a while. So if I had been alive in 1517 or in, you know, 1600 with Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and those guys, and I read all these Old Testament prophecies about Israel, and God says, I'm going to scatter you around the world, but I'm going to bring you back, I would have said, well, that was fulfilled when they came back from Babylon, even though only 50,000 people came back, and they got scattered again by the Romans later. I would have said, that's been fulfilled. I, because when I look down in Israel, if I was alive when those guys were, it's barren, it's empty, it's waste. Mistake, never believe just what you see. Better find out what God says. And they didn't have, I don't want to say their faith was weak, but they did not have the faith. They were rediscovering the gospel. Thank them for that. Amen. They were rediscovering the precious truth of the salvation that is only by grace through faith. Praise God, that's good enough. You get you get a good pass for that. But you really tripped up on Israel because you rewrote theology and you said all those Old Testament promises to Israel are really to the church and it's a spiritual Israel. And you just twisted Scripture. Because what happened was, Jesus says in this chapter, he describes the temple being sacked. He describes the, the time that, he doesn't name them, but we all know the Romans came in in 70 AD, about 35 years after this or 30, 38 years after this. They destroy the temple. They tear it down. Not one stone is left, just like he said. And you can go today and see those giant, massive stones, and some of them weigh two to four tons. And they're there below, below the temple mount where it was, and the Romans threw them down there, and they, they slaughtered Jews. They said blood ran in the streets, and blood covered all the white floors of the temple grounds. It was awful, but they had rejected their Messiah. But he was not done. He said they would reemerge. He said they would be scattered, and they were. And get this, guys. Listen to me. No other ancient people have ever survived if they were scattered like that. 
Most of them haven't survived, period. You can't find a Philistine today. Go find me a Philistine. You can't. Go find me an Egyptian from the day of Moses. Well, well, yeah, there's people in Egypt, and they've been there for centuries. Yeah, they're, they're Arabs. They're not the Egyptians of the old days. You can't find a Canaanite. You can't find any of them. Oh, one group lasted. <laughs> the Persians, they're still there in Iran, and they're going to emerge again at the end. But they've stayed at home for all these centuries. One nation got scattered to the four winds, and almost nobody was left at home. And centuries passed. And centuries passed. And centuries passed. Twenty centuries passed. And then the world enters a global upheaval, and we have two world wars. And as a result of those two wars, the only thing that happened was the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948. Give me chills right now. I want to tell you something. God's Word is at the top, but a lot of people don't read His Word, and some people don't have it yet, and He still reveals Himself. And how does He do that? He does that through creation. The Bible says that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and they show forth His handiwork day unto day and night unto night. History reveals the hand and justice of God. Now, the deal with history is it's kind of like that old boy that lives in Glacier Park in Montana. And there's a glacier outside his window. And he lives to be in that same house. He's, he's 85 years old. And one day he wakes up and says, honey, I think it moved. It moves two inches in 100 years. And that's how prophecy is in history sometimes. You think God is dragging his feet. He said, with me, a thousand years is like a day. He's not dragging his feet. He's on his timetable, not yours, and you don't like it, so adjust. Get used to it, because he's God and you're not. Amen? Amen. Had a lady in my church in Claremore, ran our kitchen, and she was a tight little sergeant. You all know who I'm talking about. Betsy, man, you didn't go in that kitchen unless you were fully armed and packed and loaded, you know. You took your life on the line. But she had a heart for the Lord. And I noticed one day, tough cookie, but, I mean, she had a sign up in the kitchen. It says, two great truths. There is a God. You are not him. You got that right, Betsy. Amen. Well, anyway, my point is, look what God did. He took 20 centuries to resurrect Israel, but they've been resurrected. Then he throws this little thing in there, and this is down there. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And I'll just give you the honest truth. I'll, I'll just give you, there, there's two ways of interpreting that verse, and I'm not trying to hedge. And I'll tell you what I believe, but I think both interpretations could be valid. If, if I'm not dogmatic, I'll let you know. We, for years, this is where the date setters went bananas. See there, Israel, 1948, one generation won't pass. Reason number one in 88 reasons, a biblical generation is 40 years. 1988 is 40 years from 1948. This is zero hour. He was wrong. Other people calculated and looked around and said, well, maybe a biblical generation is 70 years. Well, let's add 70. Where did that take us? 2018. So I have this really good friend, and he's a dear man. First day I met him personally, we were at a pizza place, and he led a little 12-year-old boy to the Lord. That's when I knew Dan Goodwin had a good heart. Amen? He was so into this thing, though, he called it the final jubilee, and we're still friends. And I interviewed him on Prophecy in the News and all. He was convinced, though, there's something about in the Bible the number 70 is very special, not only years, but just the number 70. 
And he was convinced the Jubilee and Jewish uh, 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 festival is every 50 years, okay? So rounding the numbers, 70 times 50, I don't round that, it's exact, 3,500 years. Moses gave that law of the, of, of the Jubilee about 1500 B.C. So fast forward 3,500 years and you land, or 2,000, right at the realm 2,000. He added from when, the, he could go back and find when the rabbis had been saying when the, when the Jubilee year was, and he believed that the 70th consummate final Jubilee was going to be in 2018. And he was prepared if it wasn't, and it's a good thing, because it didn't happen. So now to save face, well, we can find if we stretch it a little bit, evangelistically speaking. I know a lot of pastors that speak evangelistically. Amen. Amen. You know, one time I said to guys at the pastor's conference on Monday, I said, I was church yesterday morning. I said, I had, I don't know, I said I had a couple of hundred decisions. What? I said, yeah, a couple of hundred. I'm decided not to come back Sunday night. <laughs> Anyway, let's make it 100 years. Where does that put us? 2048. You heard it here. That's still a ways off, but when we get near there, if he's not back yet, but I think he will be, not because of that year. But if we get near 2048, you're going to hear such formulations, such schematics. This is the year. This is the end. This is it. Prepare. So that's the possibilities, but I'll give you the other way to interpret this verse. <clears throat> Y'all doing okay? Are you with me? You're not falling asleep? Seat's too hard. Let's raise it. Let's have a building campaign and see if we can get the pastor to do something. Here's the other way to read this verse. Jesus said this, and he said right after that, in case you're a doubter and a skeptic, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass. We're more sure of this than that the sun's going to come up in the morning. He said, assuredly, and that means, guys, I mean this. I say to you, this nation not generation, but it can mean this race of people. I don't mean the border geopolitical nation. I mean the ethnic race of Jews will by no means pass away. Well, that has already happened. They have survived, scattered to the four winds, 20 centuries, and they're still here. And there's some of them, they're a minority, but there's some of them that gather every Saturday Shabbat and worship with the same words that have been read for 3,000 years, and sing the hymns, and say the prayers, and follow the customs, this nation will by no means pass, and you've seen it with your own eyes. God's real. Now, this would be a stopping point, but if you'll allow me just a little caveat more, I'll do the gripping signs, and I will not elongate this any more than we need to, but I think you'll like it, because it really hits where we're living. It's going to be about the t technology and the weather. Let's turn, because it's the same Olivet Discourse, but let's turn, if we can, over to Luke 21. Luke's account of this very same day sitting on the Mount of Olives, they ask about when the temple's going to be destroyed, and Luke adds a few things. By the way, and I, I didn't intend to make this a part of the notes, but while you're turning, I'll just throw this in. Jesus said two things that bear repeating. He said a lot of things that bear repeating. But in this regard, over in Luke 17, he just kind of threw it out there. He said, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? You go back to Genesis 6, and it says that there was such violence in the earth that it grieved God. 
that he had made it. And there was such immorality, and every thought of every man was only evil continually and constantly. And God wiped it out. He says it's going to be like that again at the end. It's going to be almost hell on earth. And the, 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 the Hebrew word there, this is interesting, the Hebrew word there for violence is Hamas. And if you follow Islamic terrorism, one of the groups is named Hamas. And they are uh, right now to the north of Israel in Lebanon. And when I was on one trip to Israel, they were literally firing missiles into Israel on the north. And our guide didn't tell us until the next day and we were safely away. Because we heard these booms and we just, oh, they're just doing some tests. Or, you know, we found out the next day they were firing. Uh, they're up there in the forest of Dan, which is the area we were in. But yeah, Hamas is here and that's the Hebrew word for violence. I once had a chance to have uh, T.W. Hunt in our church back in Muskogee, and he was a great man of God, loved the Lord. He wrote a prayer guide, wonderful, sp- deeply spiritual man. And we back then, this is back several years ago, we were kind of bemoaning that the direction our nation was turning. And we were talking about the immorality, and the LGBT movement was beginning to surface and push a bit. And, and, and I said, how can it get any worse? And he looked right at me. He spent a lot of time with God. He said, uh, I said, what could be worse? And he looked at me, and he said, violence. He said, you'll see violence on an unprecedented scale. Oh, and he said one other thing, and I've never forgotten it. He said, evil women. I'm not joking. He said, there will be evil women. So I think that's kind of proved true through these years. But Jesus also said, as it was in the days of Lot, it will be. And we know from Lot, we know from that account in Genesis 19, that there was total widespread sexual immorality and not just sexual immorality, sex that is against nature. Men working with men, that which is unseemly and dishonorable, to use the words of Romans 1. Unnatural, to use the words, it is against nature. And I don't care what the psychological association in America says today. This is what the Word of God says. And history says when any society has totally allowed that at a widespread level. And a man made a study, published it in the 1940s, of all the civilizations that he could in past history up to that time. When a nation totally embraced homosexuality out in the open and okayed it, they were gone in two generations. So of those of y'all with a time scorecard, that's just another sign. So that's, that's Luke. So let's, let's get to these verses and, and all. <clears throat> Are you ready? That was while you were turning. Let's go. The Scripture says in, here we go, verse 22, thank you, Luke 21, 22. These will be days of vengeance, that all things that are written will be fulfilled. Woe unto them that are with child, to them that nurse. In those days there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and he means the Jews. This isn't in my notes, but I would just remind you, I had lunch Thursday this week with Avi Lipkin. He is an Israeli. He was born in Brooklyn, studied in rabbinic school, was going to be a rabbi, and they kicked him out because he believed in Bible. He took a stand for LGBT back then against it, and he had a brother who was gay and died of AIDS, and he said, I love my brother, but that doesn't discount the truth of God's Word. And that liberal rabbinic school kicked him out. What he's done in these years is he's tried to build a coalition. He's this close, I think, because I've known him now for about 15 years, to accepting Christ. He's closer every time he comes over here and we visit. He comes about once a year. 
And his wife used to, because she grew up in Egypt and she could understand all these Middle Eastern languages, she used to be on the Israeli intelligence research and she's listened on the internet for all the terrorist chatter. So Avi knows all kinds of things. He told me Thursday, I just asked him what are some of the developments you're hearing. He said, well, we're seeing more anti-Semitism, that is Jew hatred and crimes in Europe. It's almost like the 1930s again when Hitler rose to power. But he said, it's going to be here in the United States, and it already is. Our Congress turned their back on Israel this, this last few months. They did. They refused to, to give the money for what's called the Iron Dome, which is their missile system against in-firing, incoming terrorist missiles that are shot at them and from Iran, who funds all that. And we stepped back from them. And one of the reasons God's blessed America, besides we've founded on a lot of his truth, is he said to, to those... He said to Israel, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And America has been a friend. When no one else in the world would, America stood with Israel. But he's saying in these last days, he said, there will be wrath upon this people. And he says, they'll fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. In other words, even though Israel has possession, even though Trump moved the embassy to to Jerusalem, even though they have the Knesset government there in Jerusalem, there's still so much Gentile influence out of the UN that they're really not free even in their own country the way they ought to be. And it's going to continue that way, Jesus said, until his return happens. And the nations are aligning, and you can see that. I'm out of time on that, but when we come back and talk about some of these battles, I'll talk to you about Iran and Russia, and now the, the, the new to us, new threat of China, and how all that was prophesied. And there will be signs. Here's where we want to look. Signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, on the earth, distress of nations, perplexity, sea, waves, roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming on the earth. For the power of heaven will be shaken, and then will they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great glory. And when these things begin to pass, listen, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. That is amazing. He said there would be signs in the atmosphere. He speaks of really weather patterns, and we've already kind of alluded to the fact that we're seeing even more increasing besides earthquakes. We're seeing more tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, hailstones. And I said, it's not global warming. It's a global warning from Jesus to wake up. And we could talk about historical instances of hailstones that weighed 30 pounds or more because it says in Revelation they'll weigh 100 pounds. Can you imagine? 30 pounds fell in China. 20 pounds fell in Kansas. 80 pounds fell in Kansas, Salina. (laughs) and uh, 20 pounds fell in Scotland. Those are true instances of hailstones. Astronomy, and here's the thing about astronomy. God wrote it up in the sky. I said he speaks through creation. Psalm 19 says there's not a place that their message doesn't go out. It's heard every day worldwide. I remember when I started going to college, Keith, and was learning about, you know, the the truth of Scripture and just God and how we need to defend it. I I just went out one night and looked at the sky, and I was just praying, God, why don't you just prove yourself? Why don't you just line the stars up and say, I am real? You know, this was my great idea. I'm advising the Almighty. And he says, uh, Kevin, I already did write it up there. I just put it in a language everybody can read. And what he's saying is the order, the beauty, the precision, all proof. He is real. You have to be educated into atheism. I'm going to say that to these young men here. You have to be educated into atheism. Everywhere anthropologists travel in the world, every jungle, every new tribe they've ever discovered, every remote Pacific island, they find a new group, they believe in a supreme being. 
And I'm not surprised because Romans 1 says he put it in their heart. They know. One day this atheist professor was indoctrinating his five-year-old son with all these reasons why there's not a God. And the little boy, when his dad took a breath and he could get a word in, said, Daddy, you reckon God knows we don't believe in him? Okay, here, here I'm going to close with this. There's not only alarms in the heavens, there are alarms in the hearts. And that's where Jesus said there'll be such distress, perplexity. That's confusion. We've got people that are confused and fear. We've got people whose literally hearts are stopping, like he said, uh, from their fear. Mind-blowing events that they're almost hard to believe. And the Lord said, except the Lord himself shortened those days, it would have destroyed all life on earth. I've already described some of the biological and some of the technological warfare that's coming. Let me just tell you very quickly a couple of things. And some of you may know about this, and some people this may be new, but there's this idea or this, this, this thing called the singularity. If you're a musician, you might have known the first synthesizer was called a Kurzweil. A synthesizer is an electronic instrument. We call them keyboards today, but they can make all these sounds. It was invented by a 15-year-old genius named Kurzweil. By the way, he's Jewish. Wouldn't you know it? The blessing of Abraham. So he invents this at age 15. He's tracked this stuff. You know how phones and technology just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller? A few years ago, every time, about every two years, they would cut the size of the microchip in half. And that's kind of continued, and I don't know how far it can go nano down. You've got to have one big enough to read, okay? You've got to have a phone big enough to read. But they're saying, and Kurzweil was, was saying this several years ago, that there's going to come a time that the machine will engineer itself and at some point will become self-aware that it's a machine and we're like pets or annoying insects. Continue to improve and enhance itself. And uh, if you ever saw the movie Terminator 3, there was this whole idea of the Skynet and it was this whole connection of all the intelligence and information, and it was trying to create itself into a robotic manifestation. And in the movie, they stop it right before, you know, it's right there forming, and, and it gets stopped. But this is the idea, and this, this leads to this whole concept of artificial intelligence. Uh, Google, I said this morning, but their main charter was not to be a search engine, because there's hundreds of search engines. Their founding documents want to be the first really artificial intelligence where the machine knows it's real. Now, here's the thing none of us know or could prove, and I'm not trying to be weird with you, but you have to wonder about these things. Maybe it's already happened, and maybe the machines are communicating with each other in languages they've developed far beyond our ability to make a code for. I don't know that, but I'm saying that these possibilities open up so much of the symbolism we read in Revelation. Let me give you some quotes from some of our leading people in the area of technology and AI today. Elon Musk. Here's what he said, and he said this on the record about five years ago, disagreeing with Mark Zuckerberg, who is all about AI. And I told you this morning, Zuckerberg is going to change his company's mission from social media to the metaverse. What is the metaverse? It's like a universe, but it's a meta. They want to take all the information and network systems and create a canopy that we all live under all the time, and you plug into a virtual reality where you live, play, work, sleep, and you live in that, and it's not even real. And they're trying to create a spiritualness to it that would literally make it like a religion. 
And this is the mission of Zuckerberg. He's all for AI. Elon Musk said this, with AI, we are summoning, and these are his words, not mine, we are summoning the demon. In all those stories where there's the guy with the pentagram and the holy water, it's like, yeah, he's sure he can control the demon. Didn't work out. Bill Gates, I am in the camp that is concerned about superintelligence. I agree with Elon Musk and some others on this and don't understand why some people are not concerned. British inventor and innovator Clive Sinclair, AI will doom mankind. Stephen Hawking, the brilliant astrophysicist who had Lou Gehrig's disease. AI has potential to destroy civilization and could become a new form of life on earth. The rule of the machine. Lux machina, the God of the machine. You ever wonder where it says your pastor just preached chapter 13 where the beast makes an image and asks the whole world to worship it? And everybody receives a mark. Could it be some kind of digital imprint, implant that monitors and surveils the movement of every bio-living human on the face of the planet? Because technology has reached a point of terrifying abilities. You know, in the book of Revelation, over half of the earth's population gets destroyed. There are robotic soldiers today, drones, nano devices. Bill Gates, a few couple summers ago, started Earth Now, where the satellites surveilling the planet, they're able to look at every square foot 24-7. Did you know that? It's called the eye in the sky, and you're being watched. By the way, we're probably being listened to tonight. Somebody said, Brother Kevin, you're a conspiracy theorist, and I say, I'm not a theorist. But here's the thing. The Lord is letting this happen, and he's going to wrap it up. I don't fear AI. I don't fear the warming of the planet. I don't fear an army from China marching and invading our shores. I fear Almighty God, and I fear for those who don't know him because he is going to come back, and he's going to make everything the way it needs to be, the way it ought to be. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just want to thank you tonight for this time, and Lord, um, we may not give a formal altar call, but we want to create an altar again in our hearts right now. And we want to bend our knee to you. We know that you are always and always have been our only hope and salvation. And forgive us for the times we thought we could do it or we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You gave us hands to pull and feet to put bootstraps on. Lord, you are the one who's done it all, and we give you all the glory. We pray you'll align us with Jesus. We pray, Father, you will just ignite us and excite us as we prayed earlier today about the truth that Jesus really is coming. And when we look in your word and then we look up into our world and into what's happening today, we see that you already forecast all of these things. And the weatherman's only right about a half or less of the time. You're always right, God. You're always right on time on your time. And we bless you and praise you tonight. I pray for any who may need to really surrender their life to Jesus tonight. Because, Lord, if there's any fear or any terror in our heart, that's not from you because you've told us not to be troubled or anxious. And so, Father, for anyone who would need to make peace with God, would you help them right now speak into their spirit and give them the faith, Lord, to call on your name and ask Jesus to come into their life and save them and forgive them. And then, Father, give them the courage to let it be known. We'll give you the praise and glory for it all. 
in Jesus' name. Pastor's going to come and dismiss us, but as he does, let me just say, what a, what a joy to be with you tonight. You, you were real good because I went about an hour and 15 minutes. And I had a video. Did you ever get that? I've got a video on the metaverse, and it's interviewing a guy that knows about it, and I'll show that to you. You have to be here tomorrow night if you want to see it. Deal or no deal? Amen. All right. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? A couple of things Kevin said. Number one, we win. Jesus wins. Number two, there are folks that don't win, that need to know Jesus. My prayer, and I share this with Kevin, my prayer is that God will move in your heart so much that you'll be broken for all those lost friends and family members you have. Because when he talks about the tribulation with the big T, if they're not saved, that's what they face. Even worse than that, an eternity separated from God. And let me tell you what I think the worst part about hell is. God is not there. People will spend eternity. Uh, is it going to be a dark place? I, I believe it is. Is it going to be a place without light because God's not there? Is it going to be a place of eternal suffering? I believe it is. But I think the worst part about hell, the Bible says one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will see him. And I believe the last sign that they, the last image they see before they are cast eternity into hell is Jesus Christ. And they will for eternity have this picture, I could have been with him. Pray for those lost family members and friends and share what Christ has done in your life so that they don't have to face an eternity with that. Uh, tomorrow night, dinner at 6 o'clock. I think we're having ham and beans. Is that right, Kathy? Oh, chili tomorrow night. Chili and potato soup. Well, I saw there was a need for cornbread, and that's what I usually go with it. Huh? Continue in here. God will make God rest. Okay. Okay. So if you're curious about that, come. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody. Had this been a blessing? Amen. I'm going to shut up, pray, and we're going to go. Father, we praise you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have a glimpse into what the future is going to bring.